following is a paid program. The views expressed are not necessarily those of the management or ownership of KSTPAM 1500 ESPN. This is the place to talk about everything related to the home, buying or selling real estate, financing and improvements that can help increase your home's value. This is Minnesota Home Talk on Score North. Here's your host, Jason Walgrave. Good morning, folks, and welcome back. This is Minnesota Home Talk, and we're live on ESPN, baby. Formerly known as Score North, but this is the uh, AM 1500 radio station that we've been on for, we are talking about it before the show, 13 years. Dang. Almost 85 years, like we, we uh, often often say. Yep. Well, it depends on, you know, is this human years or dog years or that's a good point you know right (laughs) we've got we've got a big show planned this morning folks Uh, very excited to welcome back to the show dr scott jensen our future minnesota governor welcome back thank you jason and thanks mike for having me it's good to have you back you were you were on the show in november um and uh a little bit has happened since november yeah, in November we were just starting to slide into the debate season among the various candidates vying for the Republican endorsement. So uh, November, December, January, and actually into February we had all the debates, and then we started the cycle of conventions and with all the BPOU conventions in March and April and continued the debates, and then, of course, in the middle of May we had our big endorsing convention. So things have changed a lot. Yeah, we look good. You look healthy. Thank you. I feel good. Yeah. I feel real good. I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed that... My golf game stinks so bad. That's, that's part of the campaign responsibility. <laughs> well, you're probably not getting too many rounds in, are you? Three. Three. <laughs> Three rounds. I mean, all year? Yeah, in Minnesota. Yeah. So that would be the most expensive uh, golf rounds I've ever played. Well, it's probably because you're sleeping too much. That's probably right. We find out that you sleep about three hours a night. You know that, that you might be pushing it over the limit there. A nice, yeah. relaxing schedule. Yeah, <laughs> right. So we got a big show planned this morning, folks. Um, as Dr. Scott Jensen will be on the show, we're going to be talking. Uh, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. We're going to open up the phone lines right away at six five one six four seven two nine one zero. Give us a call this morning. Um, talking about real estate, but we're going to be talking to Scott throughout the show. If you have questions for him, we'd love to hear from you. Phone lines are open at 651-647-2910. We're going to give away four tickets to a St. Paul Saints game this morning. Uh, For the best question, 651 phone lines again are open at 651-647-2910. We have a text line. You can also text your questions at 763-443-5664. The text line, feel free to text in your questions to 763-443-5664. Um, again, Scott, great to have you back on the show. Uh, for folks that that are that are unfamiliar with you, tell us a little bit about who you are and, and where you're from. Well, I'm a kid from Sleepy in Minnesota in the southern part of the state. And uh, when I was growing up, there were, we had five kids in our family, and my mom was my best friend. My dad was my hero. And uh, my older sister was one who taught me the invaluable lesson that if someone's smarter than you, bigger than you, tougher than you, you probably shouldn't pick a fight. (laughs) I went to Sleepy at Public High School, and that was a great place to grow up and get a good education. I had a handful of teachers that had a profound experience on my life, which I'm immensely grateful for. And then I went to the University of Minnesota, 
did my undergraduate there, went into dental school for a year, which I enjoyed very much, but I found that I really did not have a love affair with teeth. So <laughs> I did the logical thing after you've embedded yourself within the sciences for years and years. Uh, I went to the seminary. And so in the seminary, uh, I had a momentous year where I made two big decisions. I was dating this hot chick at the time. <laughs> and uh, so I asked her to marry me. And so we just celebrated our 44th anniversary. Wow. Congratulations. Nice. That's you. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I was talking to Senator Rudy Boschwitz, and I was talking about the fact we'd been married 44 years, uh, I think last Friday. And he said, well, that's interesting. He said, um, a couple of days later, he said, my wife Ellen and I, we'll have been married 66 years. So he's got 50% more than I Dang. So that wow. was, So we celebrated, uh, he and I uh, congratulated one another. But I also made the decision to go into medicine. And medicine has been a wonderful career for me. I feel a, a little bit like... Um, Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life, uh, George <laughs> Bailey. Yeah, I've had a wonderful life. And I, uh, in 2016, I had the honor of being named the Family Doctor of the Year in Minnesota. And if you will, I was sort of riding high. I had uh, my own medical clinic. Um, my daughters were both uh, physicians. My son was a, an attorney. and They'd all found a path that was good for them. And then I was recruited to run for the Senate. And that's really been a different chapter in my life is to be involved in politics, which is so, so very different than being a family doctor. A family doctor, your day is sitting down with patients and together trying to walk through the historical information, the physical exam, the laboratory tests, the imaging examinations that might be necessary, and coming up with a diagnosis and an approach to how we're going to deal with this medical concern. In the world of politics, it's um, much more truncated. Uh, there's not the interest in really exploring all of it. It's explore that which is safe or explore that which is what you consider a winning message. It's all about messaging and spinning. And when you get in front of a group of people, if, if you try to engage in a conversation, you'll be criticized for not having enough energy. <laughs> You've got to be more explosive. And so, more entertaining. Could, yeah, I mean, you can imagine if I'm in the office doing a vasectomy on some poor guy and I'm this explosive, bombastic <laughs> yeah, right. surgeon, you know, ripping and tearing, that wouldn't be so good. <laughs> so, I think the world of uh, politics has been a huge transition for me. I think I'm, I'm starting to get a bit of a rhythm. And uh, after uh, one term in the Senate, uh, I stepped away from politics thinking I was done. I'd done 10 years in the school board, and now I'd done a term in the Senate. And my wife had a lot of health issues. And so we decided that we needed to focus on her health. And who would have, who would have guessed that she would go through four major surgeries and a tumor removal in, a, in an 18-month span of time and come out of it feeling like better than she had in a decade? And then at the same time, COVID hit, and I became a bit of a spokesperson for sort of a contrarian narrative, speaking against changing the way we do death certificates simply to, if you will, accommodate a perspective or a policy change on COVID. I felt we should continue to do death certificates as we had done for pneumonia, influenza, all the various influenza outbreaks we have each year. But this time around, there was going to be a change made. And I think that really propelled me forward to becoming somewhat of a national spokesperson for a contrarian narrative. And that pushed me forward into being recruited to run for governor. And now I'm the endorsed candidate for the Republican Party. And uh, we're going to start the debate season with Tim Walls in about uh, in about a month. And the recent poll that showed that uh, Governor Walls and I are in a dead heat, I think surprised a lot of people. 
I think it makes Governor Walls nervous, and mm-hmm. it makes the people in our camp uh, galvanized even more than we were before. And we've been energized for a year and a half, but now we realize that this is eminently doable, mm-hmm. and uh, we are going to do it. So the debates that you're going to do, where do those take place, and are those live in person? or? The first one, I think, actually would probably be Farm Fest, though I've invited Governor Walls. Uh, let's do it sooner. I think ideally a campaign should be a transparent opportunity for the candidates to get to know the voters and the voters to get to know the candidates. And that means let's start every two weeks and let's go on campuses. Let's let's make sure we do everything we can to get the younger folks in, involved, the Gen Zs and the millennials. Mm-hmm. But right now I think we're looking at the first one at Farm Fest in Redwood Falls in early August. We'll have another one on at the Game Fair in late August in discussing hunting and fishing and tourism. Then we'll start sliding in. I think NPR does one, NPR, I should say. And I think there might be one more that's routine. Maybe Almanac might do one. But that's more in October. So I'm hoping that Governor Walls will, if you will, commit in the same way that I would to having a debate every every couple of weeks. So that between, if you will, July 15th and the election, we could have perhaps uh, eight to ten debates and, and really flush out the issues. Sure. I think that's a great opportunity to you know to talk about those things. How long do those usually take? Are those a couple hours or ninety minutes or? Usually they're ninety minutes. Uh, if I had my preference, I'd like you know I like sort of a marathon. I'd like to have four hour <laughs> debates, and you know maybe we could stop in the middle for donuts and water and coffee. Yeah, but I mean, let's go deep. Go deep or go home. Right, right. Do you do you exercise? Do you run? I think I I went to a gymnasium. I think it was 2008. <laughs> uh, I do a lot of steps. A lot of steps. A lot of steps. <laughs> I love it. My, we've got my my son Theodore. He's got he's seven, and he's got this little Fitbit thing that he wears every day. And uh, my my uh, watch also counts my steps. And so every night uh, after prayers, he he looks over at me and he says, uh, "Where are you at for steps?" Every single night, where are you at for steps? Well. He always, I mean, out of 30 nights, 29 of them he'll have me beat. Well, the other night he had 23,000 steps. 23,000 steps is like 10 miles. So it's a lot of steps. Well, you've got a perfect opportunity here to walk him through a mathematical exercise because his steps are so small <laughs> that you should challenge him back. How many miles do we have in? Because for you, 2,000 steps might be a mile, but he might have to have four or 5,000 steps. You could maybe win the competition with your 7-year-old son if you would simply do a mathematical <laughs> conversion. Now, I get a lot of steps, but I do start my morning. I always get on my knees and say a couple prayers uh, because I think that that posture is really important, especially when you're in politics. You have to humble yourself uh, and realize that uh, you just don't have all the answers. But then I, I do 72 push-ups. Now, I grant you, they're not good-looking push-ups, but they are push-ups, and they, they do hurt. And people say, why 72? Because I used to be able to go out and have 72 shots on the golf course. And so I always thought 72 was my number. I if I started to do the number of shots I take on a golf course now in the push-ups, I'm going to have to be in the 80s, and I don't want to go that high. <laughs> 72 in a row with no break? Absolutely. That's impressive. For a Norwegian kid, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really impressive. I, I'm, I'm impressed. So, so tell us a little bit more about your family. Um, I had an opportunity to meet your lovely wife a few weeks ago at the, uh, the Brackets yeah. uh, fundraiser. Um, very lovely, very kind um, lady, do you have? You guys have children. You said you had three. Uh, any grandchildren? My wife has been um, 
the best thing that's happened to me. She is uh, my my friend, my soulmate, my lover, and we have uh, we've been blessed. And uh, she's she's tough. She's tenacious. She's a veterinarian. She's had one of the most interesting vet practices in literally uh, the history of mankind. <laughs> she has done mixed animal where she would go out and work with the large dairy herds in California, where there'd be ten thousand cows and they would be milked every eight hours on schedule. She did some big-time work there. Then she came back and did a lot of small animals. Then she went into exotic animals. I still remember the night I had come off of a call night where I'd had to resuscitate the same gentleman five times from a cardiac arrest each time. And at the end of the shift, he was uh, talking with his wife. And that was pretty darn special to me. And uh, so Mary and I were talking about it. And then I asked her, I said, how was your day? And she said, well, it was, it was good. And I said, did you have any particularly interesting clients? And she said, well... Yes, I, I had a boa constrictor in with pneumonia, and that sort of took the wind out of my sails. Uh, so I sarcastically looked, and I said, seriously, you had a boa constrictor in with pneumonia. What would you do, give it a shot of penicillin? And she smiled and said, yeah, how'd you know? So we don't really compare notes much anymore. Uh, I don't do very well there. We've had three kids. Uh, my oldest is an anesthesiologist, and uh, she has a, a lovely family and uh, two kids. And then my, my middle child... Uh, well, we'll jump to my youngest, Jackie. She's also a, a family doc, and uh, she works with me. And uh, she has two kids and a third on the way. And then my middle child is an attorney, but we love him just as much, even if he's not a doctor. <laughs> and uh, he has two kids. And so we have six grandchildren, one on the way, and we have been immensely blessed. And a lot of what you do, I think, when you're in your 60s, is you say, how can I make the world better for my grandkids? Mm -hmm. And my wife and I are certainly committed to that resolve. I love it. I, I absolutely love it. Folks, we got the phone lines open at 651-647-2910. We have Dr. Scott Jensen in the studio this morning um, answering questions. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 651 647 2910. We're going to give away four tickets to St. Paul Saints game this morning for the best question. We have the studio lines open at 651-647-2910. We also have a text line. You can text your questions into 763-443-5664. The text line again is 763-443-5664. Call or text. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll keep those lines open throughout the show. So you've teamed up with a guy, uh, this this Matt Burt guy. So I, I had an opportunity uh, to meet and work with Matt, oh, probably 15 years ago on a couple of real estate transactions. And so he weighed um, more than <laughs> he did. He has leaned up, man. 85 he, pounds, I think. He yeah. he, 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 looked, he looks way different. He looks good. He looks good. So um, how did you meet Matt? What's the story behind that? Well, that's crazy uh, because when my wife and I were being recruited to run for governor, one of the names that came up occasionally that might run for governor was Matt Burks. And so a couple of different people had mentioned this, and I said, give me his contact information. I'll give him a call and see if he's going to run or not. It never happened. So one day, Mary and I were flying back. We'd been visiting dear, dear friends uh, in Florida, and we're flying back, and we got off the plane from Fort Myers, and we were walking down the G concourse at the airport, and... and uh, Big guy jumped right in front of me, and he <laughs> barks at me, are you Scott Jensen? And we're both wearing masks, so I, I reflexively pulled my mask down and said, yes, I am. And he pulls his mask down and says, I'm Matt Burke. I said, well, nice to meet you, Matt. And I thought, this is odd. And uh, then he gives me sort of the, the hitchhiker's thumb and says, my wife's over there. She loves you. 
And I thought, well, that's an interesting thing to say. And my <laughs> wife's standing right next to me. Well, he went on to say then that uh, his wife had been following me for a couple of years during the COVID pandemic, had an, appreciated uh, some of the, the, the balanced viewpoints that I tried to provide and that uh, he hadn't really been following me that much. But if his wife was that interested in me, he thought he better meet me. And so <laughs> the four of us sat there and talked in the G concourse, and we started walking together. And it was one of those conversations that went deep real fast. And literally by the time we got to the baggage area, uh, Matt and Adriana said, you know, we'd like to help. So we continued to sort of, if you will, get to know each other. And then our team asked Matt and Adriana if they would be the honorary chairman and chairwoman for our campaign. And they said yes. And from there, uh, we got to know each other better and better and found a, a tremendous intersection of ideas, both, if you will, real world ideas, but also aspirational ideas. And so it was in December, I think, that we started the conversation about would he be interested in being uh, my lieutenant governor uh, running mate. And one of the questions he had was, well, what would that look like? And my response was, Really not an unusual response for me because I'm always willing to uh, look at different vantage points. And I said, well, it'd probably look like whatever you wanted it to look like. And I said, what I would want it to be is I'm not crazy about this vertical relationship between a governor and a lieutenant governor where the lieutenant governor is sort of a, a background figure. I'd like to split the duties. I'd like to have it be a true partnership. That's what my wife and I do in our household. Uh, she has areas of, in our, of our lives that she manages, and she does far better than I could. And I've got areas that I step up a bit. And so I think Matt was intrigued. And probably over about a two-month courtship, uh, the two of us made the big decision, we're going to do this together. And having Matt on the team has been just a gift for not just me, but the whole team and my wife and I. And I remember the night that uh, Adriana and Matt and Mary and I had dinner. And uh, we wanted to have that final conversation, and so we did. And, and during the, the night, my wife and I learned that uh, it was Adriana and Matt's uh, anniversary. And I said, well, Matt, we could have done this some other night. I, I said, I thought you told me this night was free. And he said, I, uh, I got the dates mixed up. So <laughs> it was pretty funny. And Adriana sort of rolled her eyes, and Adriana's adorable. But uh, on the way out, we were walking to our cars, and... Um, Matt jumped in to uh, a conversation and said, hey, I got a word for us for our campaign. A word. I said, terrific. I said, what's that word? And he said, joyful. And I would not have guessed that that would be the word that would come from his mouth, but he's been absolutely right. People have asked me, why did I choose him? I mean, I understand the, the visual. I mean, I get it. Two white guys, I get it. But uh, I also don't believe that identity politics is how we do our best work. So what I wanted in a, in a running mate was I wanted someone who had character that wouldn't quit, that was authentic and honest, and Matt Burke has that. I also wanted someone to have a skill set that I didn't have, and I think Matt Burke getting a four-year degree from Harvard in economics while playing football and having a tremendous commitment to playing football is a remarkable achievement. He's clearly a very, very bright man. And then the third thing that really matters to me is I really put a lot of emphasis on determination because I think so often it isn't the person with the most skills that wins or does the best work. I think it's oftentimes the person who's willing to get up the earliest, stay up the latest, and just get the work done. Mm -hmm. And I also think that two environments that I live in are both uh, 
problematic in ways, and, and Matt sort of neutralizes that. And those two environments there, one, being a doctor, and two, having been in the Senate. I think being a physician and being a politician, it's easy to slide into this notion that what you know and what you say is way more impactful and important than what others say. Mm-hmm. Part of being a doctor, you have these letters behind your name. And so sometimes you think that you don't have to earn people's respect. You're supposed to get it because you have MD behind your name. And that really blinds you to the fact that there's a lot of really sharp people out there who can say it better than you, who can analyze it better than you. COVID was analyzed far better by non-MDs than by MDs in my book. And politics is the same way. You get an election certificate, you think your IQ went up 20 points, but frequently <laughs> got stupider because you now got a big head. And so you think that you're the spokesperson when, frankly, if you listen to someone else speak to a given issue, they might well be able to do so more concisely and, if you will, more convincingly. Fantastic, folks. we got the phone lines open. Do you have questions for Scott? Give us a call this morning at 651 647 Two nine one zero. That is the call number of the studio. Phone lines are open. Uh, we're giving away four tickets to a St. Paul Saints game for the best question. Again, phone lines are open at 651-647-2910. We also have a text line. You can text your questions at 763-443-5664 is the text line. 763 Six six four is the text line. We got a couple of comments coming in on Facebook Live. Paula says, "Good morning, guys." So good morning to you, Paula. Uh, Nick Selly comments, and he's like, "I haven't heard the word gymnasium since 1998." <laughs> That's copacetic. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny there. So, so uh, Mike, you, um, your stepdad. Well, we call him the Yoda of real estate. His name is Steve Perkins, but he's Steve. The Yoda of Real Perkins. Estate, Perkins. Yeah. Um, he comes on three, four times a year. Um, he's got a long uh, history of real estate and business, and but but he's also involved in some South Dakota uh, politics, I believe. Yeah, yeah. He does a lot of work with the Republican Party out there in South Dakota. So he's actually um, he's meeting this weekend actually with Christy Nome's running mate, I believe, to talk about uh, the upcoming stuff with them. So. That's pretty interesting stuff. I actually just texted him. I said, I said we got Doctor Scott Jensen on the on the show with us this morning. You should call in with a question or two. Yes. So we'll see if he we'll see if he's up and uh, ends up calling in. He's got he's got some good insight, no doubt about that. Um, all right. So we talked about Matt Burke. Um, uh, thank you for all the information. You know, at the uh, at the brackets um, at the brackets fundraiser a few weeks ago, um, I think you and Matt were going to have a bicep. Size contest was that? Did that ever happen at the end, or how, well, what happened? <laughs> this has become sort of a thing in our campaign. Is we were uh, asked one at one event what one difference between the two of us might be, and and I think Burke called out bicep size, and he says. If I'm at a restaurant and I get a piece of meat caught between my teeth, he said, I just lean over and ask God if I can use one of his biceps as a toothpick. <laughs> so it was at that point in time, game on. Yeah, right. and, uh, so now I usually say, well, you know, we're going to send either biceps or brains. You know, you get to choose. <laughs> you got both. You should, you should take him in on a push-up contest because, you know, body weight is not in his favor in that contest. That's, that's a good I, point. I should do that. That's a great idea. Any anything body weight wise, you got the upper hand there. That's what you got to take him in on. Yeah, Mike Overson can squat five hundred pounds, but can only do three push ups. Right. Yes. <laughs> 
Uh, we did have a text question come in from Sarah. Sarah asks, if you were to make a decision about what to do with the state budget surplus, how would you address it? Sarah, I love that question. People are going to think that you were a plant for me on this one. <laughs> the easy answer would be to do some dipstick move. Like, oh, here, let's put a person's name on it and call it Walls Checks. I'm sorry. I think Tim Walls tweeted the other day that, yeah, if we give you 2000 bucks, we can pay your rent for a couple of months. Are you kidding? Where are you getting rent that cheap? You maybe would pay rent for one month, if that. The bottom line is you would be literally pandering. I think some of Tim Wall's teams called it a tax rebate. That's not true because a tax rebate means giving back something that was paid in. Well, Wall's plan was to pay it out to everybody, even though 25% of Minnesotans don't pay any income tax. So <laughs> let's be intellectually honest about what he's talking about doing. It's not a tax rebate program. It's a Santa Claus move. It's pandering. He knows he's in trouble, and he's saying, Minnesotans aren't smart enough to figure out that I'm just pandering and I want their vote. Well, you know what? They are. And what I'm hearing is that we should be using this moment in time as an opportunity to have a bigger discussion. Clearly, we should not be double-taxing Social Security. That should be unethical, and we should be joining the other 37 states that don't do that. But for some reason or another, this hasn't gotten done by the legislature and the governor. But I would say that we need to have the conversation about with a 10 to $12 billion surplus, why don't we talk about what Minnesota could look like without a personal income tax? Could we become the economic hub of the Midwest? If we could try to make the transition that so many other states have done, almost 20%, what if we became the Florida of the Midwest? What kind of a sizzling economy could we bring to the table instead of losing businesses and losing powerful corporations every year to other states? Instead of having Montana and South Dakota literally recruiting our businesses away from Minnesota, we would draw these corporations in. We need to do that. I think that we spend more money if you make a comparison to other states that are comparable to Minnesota by a lot. And if we were able to control our spending, get that sizzling economy, draw in more and more good-paying jobs, we might be able to do so much more than we realize. We deserve to have that robust conversation, and that, to me, is what a leader does. So if we're just going to get rid of the surplus because we don't want it on the books, then I would expect that what the best thing to do is be potentially an upfront bolus of money might be something that would be helpful. But I would be more inclined to say, let's put permanent tax relief into place. Let's take those lower two income tax brackets, lower those so that we know that we're really helping middle Minnesota. But I would rather have permanent than short-term walls checks, which I think is sort of the height of political vanity for a politician who's giving out money that isn't his and putting his name on it. I just don't buy into that. Folks, we got the phone lines open at 651-647-2910. We have Dr. Scott Jensen in the studio this morning. Give us a call with questions at 651-647-2910. We also have a text line. You can text your questions at 763-443-5664. The text line, again, is 763-443-5664. Um, Scott, so Mike and I are from Laverne, Minnesota. Uh, we grew up together. I've got uh, three younger brothers. Mike has uh, three older sisters. And so he spent um, a, a large portion of, of his uh, years at our house. It was more comfortable to be with all of the boys than 
uh, his sisters. I think he had similar challenges uh, as you did. His sisters were older, uh, bigger, stronger than him. Yep. Um, I think smarter. They, uh, yep, smarter. I mean, I'm not going to admit that, <laughs> but I'm shaking my head yes. You know, That'd be they, nodding your head yes, yeah. shaking your head no. Oh, yeah, nodding. Mike. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> they did things to him that made him uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, so he uh, he spent a lot of time at the at the Walgrave farm. But Laverne, which is, is close to the South Dakota border, um, I mean, we witnessed um, over the years many, you know, many of our friends and, and folks that we knew moving to Sioux Falls um, for the for the tax reasons and businesses in Laverne moving their business to South Dakota across the border um, for those um, for those tax benefits. And, you know, I can, there's countless people I can think of over the years that have, you know, from the Twin Cities, our, our friends and family that we've known that have moved out of state and they've moved to Florida and they've moved to Texas and Arizona and South Dakota. Um, I can't recall anyone that I know moving from there to Minnesota for financial reasons or, or tax benefits. And I think there's a lost opportunity there because Minnesota is a wonderful state with incredible you know, resources. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. And I wouldn't say it's a lost opportunity. I would say it's a trend of recurring lost opportunities literally every year. I was in the Senate and we had an economic opportunity to put some sort of a shrimp farm down in the southwestern portion of the state. And it ended up not happening, but it did happen across Laverne. there. That was Laverne. Yeah, it was in Laverne. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it, but it got down to South Dakota. Yes. I think there's sometimes, when someone's not comfortable with what's happening, we have a tendency to denigrate the person who's doing the thing that we don't approve of. Sometimes that person will take an action that maybe we thought about but we didn't do it. So then if someone does do that, then we sort of, we take a couple shots at them. And I think we've been doing that. We, we sort of retaliate emotionally and, 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 and mentally and sometimes with our words when people leave Minnesota. Like, well, yeah, sure, they got what they needed from Minnesota and they left. That's such the wrong attitude. The attitude mm-hmm. should be, why did they leave? Mm-hmm. Because once we ask that question, we realize that the business opportunities across the border were greater, the opportunity for growth, expansion of your company, either with downstream or upstream efforts, creating new subsidiaries, paying your employees better, not having to deal with the hassles of ever-expanding government. When we look at it that way, we realize that why wouldn't they move? And once we get to that question, that puts us in a place where we can now start to fix it. And that means, what do we need to do to be the magnet to draw people in? People could say, well, this is the, the one-off kind of thing. No, this isn't. Look at Medtronics. Medtronics used to have a powerhouse here. Look at Delta. You know, Delta isn't based here. Medtronics is based offshore. When Medtronics made a recent expansion, they looked at Minnesota, but they, they did their expansion in Colorado. This is happening over and over again. Take it a step further. What's Minnesota going to look like if we don't have Polaris and Arctic Cat, if we don't have JBS, if we don't have uh, Best Buy, Target, if we 3M, if we keep losing these companies, by the time we wake up, we will be so far down the road that we will not be able to push the snowball back up the hill. We will not be able to find a switch that has allowed us to flip it and 
turn back the hands of time. We're going to pay a deep price. So to me, that's why this election coming up is so critical. A leader has to lead and go into those hard conversations where, yes, it's going to be fraught with political danger. People will criticize you, but that's not a reason to not lead. Folks, we have the phone lines open at 651-647-2910. I give us a call this morning, Dr. Scott Jensen in the studio answering questions. Phone lines are open at 651-647-2910. You can also text in your questions at 763-443-5664 is the text line. You can text your questions to 763-4435. Six six four. We've got four tickets to a Saints game to give away for the best question. So call or text for a chance to win those. Um, Scott, talk to, to us a little bit about Dr. Jensen's fight inflation together plan, the FIT plan. Um, tell us a little bit more about that, please. We came out probably about a month ago with a 10-point plan on public safety. And I think that was really important and it really got the conversation going. Today we came out with, I should say a couple days ago, we came out with the FIT program, Fight Inflation Together. It has to do with several things. The tax burden that the everyday Minnesotan has to endure is overwhelming. We're literally in the top 5% in virtually everything. And Governor Walls has proposed increasing the gas tax, increasing the estate tax, increasing the corporate tax, increasing the personal income tax. Virtually any tax category, it's been proposed that we increase it, even though we have a 10 to $12 billion surplus. So that's huge. I think the next thing is we need a far stronger oversight role in Minnesota. We have had so many debacles, whether you're talking about the hundreds of millions of dollars that was wasted with Minlars, and then we saw the fraud with daycare. We saw the fraud with the, the feeding and the hungry hunger programs. But I really think that Minnesotans need to think twice about, or three times, about this whole Southwest light rail. Part of the reason that we went down this trail was because it was too good a deal to pass up. It was going to be a $2 billion mass transit program, and the feds were going to pay half. We only had to pay half. Shoot a mile. Who would say no? 50% off. Well, that's not what's happening. Now it's been pushed back, pushed back. It looks like there may be some structural damage to neighboring communities, condos, and now we're going to be closer to $3 billion than $2 billion. And the feds aren't stepping up to help out with that. So now we have a billion-dollar cost overrun. We need far stronger oversight. I think we also need to ask ourselves, what is Minnesota's economy really doing comparing to other states? Yes, if Governor Walls wants to tout that we have a 2.2% unemployment rate, that sounds pretty impressive. But let's ask ourselves, how many Minnesota people do we have working today? The unemployment rate doesn't measure the fact that a lot of people said, I'm done. I'm out of the, the work market. I'm, I'm retiring. I'm, I'm 68. I worked a little bit longer than I had planned on. We need those people in the workforce, and we don't have them. So I think if you look at the GDP growth in Minnesota, we're in the bottom half of the states over the last five years. If you look at the number of Minnesota employees, we're not up to pre-COVID levels. I think the next thing that you have to look at is you have to ask yourself, what about energy costs? And these are huge, and we've got to do something about them. When you reduce the amount you produce, when you reduce the amount you produce, you raise prices. This isn't rocket science. So we've got to get on top of that. We shouldn't be taxing Social Security twice. That's a given. I think we have to ask ourselves, how do we harness spending? We have to look at metrics. If we're spending more than a typical state that we might compare ourselves to, then we have to ask why. 
welfare recipients. In Minnesota, the typical welfare recipient gets over $30,000 a year. In the bordering states, Iowa, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wisconsin, none of those states get up to 20000 Now, I'm not saying that we're wrong. I'm saying that we've got to look at that. And when we look at the amount we spend on human services, and when we look at the amount of spend on K-12, through K-12 through public education, we spend and spend and spend, and last session, arguably one of the biggest bumps in money in decades. And yet, the achievement gap's increasing. Hmm. Graduations are down. People seem to be ill-prepared for the workforce. We'd have to ask ourselves a question. Is our public K-12 system succeeding? And if it's not, I'll tell you this, it's not because of the teachers. The teachers are committed. They go into teaching to touch kids' lives. They're powerfully engaged. But I would say that the teachers' union has lost its way. It's gone through this mission creep where it no longer sees itself as being an advocate for teachers and students and parents. It's its own little fiefdom. And those people in that union like what they're doing. They like their job. They like their expense accounts. And it's being done on the backs of the students, the teachers, and the parents. So I think these are a lot of the things that we have to do. And ultimately, we have to restore our supply chains in a very real fashion. If you want to see the 10 points in more detail, you can just go to drscottjensen.com slash fit, and you'll be able to find it there. Folks, we've got the phone lines open. Dr. Scott Jensen in the studio this morning. Give us a call with your questions. 651-647-2910. That is the call number to the studio. we got the studio lines open at 651-647-2910. We also have a text line at 763-443-5664. We're giving away four tickets to a St. Paul Saints game this morning for... The best question, the text line for your questions, you can text your questions is 763-443-5664. You'd mentioned um, a few moments ago, 25% of Minnesota folks do not pay taxes. Um, I didn't I didn't realize that. That was a, that's a new number. Or I didn't I wasn't aware of it. That's an estimate and uh, that was I think the number that was used when I was in the Senate. I'm going to guess that that could be modified, but I think that's right. I think, and if you think of it, I mean, 25% of Minnesotans not paying tax, you know, you've got a pretty good-sized chunk of that being kids under the age of 18. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a big chunk of that. Yeah. And then you've got a fair amount of people that, yeah, have they do not meet the minimum income levels to pay state income tax, to be sure. So I think the number, if we have 5, 5.8 million Minnesotans, I think you're talking somewhere, 25% would be somewhere around 1.4 millions don't pay any income tax in. It's possible that's even larger than that. So how do you give a tax rebate to someone who didn't pay the taxes? I think maybe what we should do is be more honest and intellectually uh, precise with our terminology. It's not a tax rebate. If it's not a tax rebate, then what is it? It's, it's a gift. It's, a, it's, it's Santa Claus. And then you have to ask yourself the question, why is this being done? Why is Governor Walls doing something that he didn't propose at all during the session for five months, something that wasn't in the House plan, wasn't in the governor's plan, to do a giveaway? That wasn't there at all. But all of a sudden, in June, we're finding out that 
Governor Walz is hot to trot that this is the greatest and latest idea. This is political pandering at its worst. And I think Minnesotans really need to recognize it, call it out for what it is, and say, hold it. That's really not going to make a, a permanent impact. But I think it really also gets to the fact that Governor Walz is a little out of touch. You know, when you're the governor and you don't pay property taxes, he said he has no property in Minnesota. So he doesn't pay any property taxes. He doesn't pay for his food, doesn't pay for his gas, doesn't pay for his auto tabs, doesn't pay for his cars. He's got a driver. He's got a chef. I mean, when you're not paying any of this, kind, you can understand why this man thinks that $2,000 pays for two months of rent. <laughs> we were just talking about we this this week. We were talking about, you know, what what can you rent for $2,000? And that's, I mean, it's kind of the starting point for something that we would consider to be, you know, nice, a nice rental. And it's, I mean, there's there certainly is nothing... I well, mean, there just isn't much out there. I don't know how Governor Walls flies, but if you fly first class, and I, I'm going to guess the governor might do that occasionally, but I think uh, the $2,000 will get you a one-way ticket potentially to Florida. <laughs> I love so folks. <laughs> I, I do want to throw a couple of numbers back at you because I'm just curious. I was, you know, 25%. I've heard that number before. Um, the current estimate is actually 30% of tax units mm-hmm. and 26% of non-dependent adults. However... The biggest shares of that are single parents and seniors who, you know, obviously aren't having an income, so they don't have an income tax. Well, seniors have an income. Um, uh, 59% of single seniors do not pay income tax in Minnesota and 57% of single parents. So, I mean, would would you agree that um, most seniors have probably paid many income taxes in the past? I mean, the surplus is a short-term thing for sure. But these are people who have paid in at some point, right? I think that's a really good point. And I think that at that point, you would start to say, okay, how should we do this? If you go back to 2018, there was no surplus like this. So then you'd have to ask yourself, what does a surplus represent? And I would say that it's an overpayment because the taxpayers of Minnesota have an ongoing obligation to pay in enough to balance the budget and, if you will, cover the expenses. So the government, legislature, governor, sets the amount of money we're going to spend, and right now it's $52 billion, which is up 75% from 12 years ago when it was $30 billion. So we said, okay, $52 billion. That means the taxpayers are going to have to cover the bill to make sure that we get $52 billion in. Well, if you find out that you don't have $52 billion, but you have $64 billion, and you say, okay, well, we have $12 billion as an overpayment, then if you're going to not get it back to the people who paid it, then I think we at least have to be intellectually honest enough to tell people, you paid in $12 billion too much. And what we're going to do is we're going to give it back to you, but we're only going to give you back $6 billion. And the other half we're going to give back to other people. If someone got a, their taxes done by an accountant and the accountant said, hey, doc, you paid in 10000 too much. I'd smile and say, terrific, I'm going to get a refund. He'd say, yeah, we're going to get you a refund of $5,000. I'd say, well, where'd the other 5000 go? Oh, we're going to give that to other uh, interested parties. I think people would have a problem with that. So if we're going to do it that way, I think the most important thing is let's be honest about it. Because if, if we say, okay, we're going to distribute it to every adult in Minnesota, then let's be honest about it. Let's say why we're going to do that, why we think that's the right thing to do. I think that this is an opportunity for Minnesota to talk about big, bold ideas. Let's get rid of the personal income tax, phase it out. Let's simplify our tax system. Let's conform with the feds. Let's stop being so difficult 
uh, for Minnesota accountants and Minnesota taxpayers to work through because to do your own taxes has become increasingly difficult. And that's a sign that we're not doing it right. I agree. we got the phone lines open, folks, at 651-647-2910. Give us a call this morning. Questions for Dr. Scott Jensen. Uh, we're giving away four tickets to a Saints game as well, so the best question is going to win those four tickets. Uh, of course, as we talk about uh, much in the show, the this is the location where they have Mike Overson's favorite ice cream sandwiches mm-hmm. um, that he indulges on regularly. Two at a time. <laughs> Give us a call at 651-647-2910. Text lines are open as well, 763-443-5664. That is our text line. Again, you can text your questions to 763-443-5664. Scott, just got a text message from a good friend of mine, David Crawl. He says, I love that you have Dr. Jensen on. Smart, hardworking, ethical, and just a great guy. So it's fantastic. Nice. nice of David to shoot that over. I wonder if David would be willing to write that down. I'd like to mail that to my mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know. I have a feeling your mother-in-law likes you. <laughs> <laughs> it took some time. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, so we got gas prices. Um, your thoughts on on keeping those or or getting them lower than than what they currently are? I know that that's a lot of. On a lot of people's minds, it's been a lot in the news, the gas prices. Um, any thoughts on how we can kind of get that under control? Well, I think we have to be very candid about the entire problem with gas. Um, we are now energy dependent. Not too long ago, we were energy independent. Decisions have been made that have compromised the U.S. position on this. Some circumstances are beyond our control, to be sure. The, the Ukrainian situation... But I think when we don't allow pipelines to be done, that means we're going to, if you will, constrict what production we could have. I know there's a a tremendous fast and furious rush to getting rid of fossil fuels. But if you actually look at what we've done as a state and as a nation, in a measured way, we've set goals, and our power companies and our citizens have met those goals. And yet, it seems like... the goalposts are being moved. And so we have to hurry forward, and we have to have, as President Biden said, 50% of the cars sold in 2030 need to be electric vehicles. Well, the supply chain necessary to provide the batteries, to provide the recharging stations for all of that new electric vehicle introduction into the marketplace, 90% of that supply chain hasn't even been built. (laughs) So I think sometimes we get these knee-jerk reflexes. I have advocated that we look at suspending the Minnesota gas tax. That would provide a help. I have opposed Governor Walz's encouragement for a 20-cent gas tax increase. That would help hold prices down. And I've also said that we need to look at the minimum markup policy that Minnesota has. But all of those are, if you will, short-term goals, and they also don't really get to a huge chunk of a $5 per gallon cost. I think we need to increase our production. We need to get out there and recognize it. We are making ourselves more and more dependent on countries like Russia, uh, unstable areas of the world like the Mideast, and if you will, so many products that we might need from China, particularly in the area of batteries and things like that. So I think that 
one of the most important things I can do as a candidate and ultimately as a governor is to lead the conversation. And I think Minnesotans want to have that conversation. So when we talk about getting rid of the federal gas tax, the state gas tax, suspending potentially the minimum markup, though I think that that cannot even be done by the governor, I think that actually would probably take a legislative action. But in those situations, that's giving Minnesotans hope and grist for conversation. And that's what we need to do. Because right now, people are sort of throwing their hands up in the air, feeling a little bit like the sky is falling, and saying, how the devil did this happen? Well, it really happened because of one thing. We had policymakers willing to put us in a situation where we are energy dependent, and in a world that's as fragile as ours is, that's not where we should be. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I mean, it, we're, I was talking to the Yoda about this the other night, because he was up here this week, and he's like... So if they if they get rid of the gas tax, it's going to drive prices down, right? So prices go down. <clears throat> so that will actually increase demand then. So as a price goes down for a good, more people can afford it, more people will buy it. The demand will then go up. But what happens with our supply? If it's the same supply and demand goes up, all that's going to do is just drive prices higher. It's going to be a real short-term effect where prices drop, we use more gas because the demand goes up mm-hmm. because more people can buy it. But the supply didn't change, so now what happens? Well, the price is going to just go right back up, and it could go higher than where it's at now. Right. You know, so it's a. He he was more focused on the supply piece of it. That's what we need to fix versus actual cost. Mm-hmm. We need to remind Yoda. One of his most brilliant comments he ever made was, "Do or do not. There is no try." And in this situation, what Minnesotans are asking of their leaders is do. And do sometimes doesn't mean necessarily taking an action, but do lead. And in leading the conversation, what we get to is exactly what you said, Mike. We get to the notion that, yes, we could do this on a short-term uh, basis. And perhaps if we had a, a short-term problem, it might match up okay. But we don't have a short-term problem. Gas prices are not going to drop by Labor Day. They're probably going to go up. So I would say that uh, your Yoda is absolutely spot on. But I don't think that gets leaders off the hook in terms of leading the conversation and acknowledging that, yes, this could be a short-term impact, and it could literally boomerang back the other way. You, you reduce prices, you're going to potentially increase use unless the, the cost is still too high to use it. But I absolutely get what you're saying, and I, and I appreciate that. But that's what I like about the give and take of leading a conversation mm-hmm. is no one person is going to have the perfect answers. But if someone's willing to put something on the blackboard as we talk about it and have their ideas targeted and harpooned and criticized, that's how we get to problems solving. Yep. Yep. I, I, I go back to the days of, you remember the... Uh, um, the tax credit you could get. If you're a first-time home buyer mm-hmm. and you go buy a house, we're going to give you a tax credit of $8,000 from the federal level, mm-hmm. right? So they thought that that was going to spark. This is after the crash. So they mm-hmm. thought that was going to spark home buying and get real estate back on. Well, it was shown that, okay, you're giving this $8,000 tax credit to first-time home buyers, but it didn't spur any more purchase business at all. No, It didn't spur more activity. It didn't spur more people to go out there and buy a home. So they gave up this money, gave it the tax credits, and it I mean, it didn't do anything that it was intended to do. Same type of thing here. You know, you're really trying to just lower the lower the price of gas to ease it. You know, it's almost like putting a bandaid on it. You're not addressing the the real issue. The real issue on this thing is the supply. We got to increase the supply if you want to really have a long term, you know, reduction in the prices. And, And I will I will jump in at that point and say 
one thing that has been clear is that um, major oil producers in the U.S. have not increased capacity. Uh, domestic capacity has not increased since the Ukrainian invasion, and they are reaping big-time profits off of the, the higher prices. So uh, trying, to, trying to increase supply from a governmental perspective seems like a really, really difficult and uphill battle because ultimately the oil supply is controlled by the oil producers, and the oil producer isn't the government. Well, to that point, I'd have to take issue with what you're saying, Evan, because if you read the Wall Street Journal article that came out about two weeks ago, Elizabeth, Senator Elizabeth Warren had been uh, advocating that um, the government mandate that uh, liquid natural gas be reduced by 20%. And I can't remember the name of the CEO of one of the, I think it was the largest liquid natural gas exporter in the country, uh, wrote this uh, article to the uh, Wall Street Journal and said, this is exactly wrong because you're telling us to reduce our exporting and that's going to raise prices. And it was unusual for a CEO of a private company to go so firmly against a sitting U.S. senator. But uh, his courage was admired uh, in many circles. And I think that there have been, if you will, elected officials that have done many efforts to reduce production or exporting. And so I think that we'd have to go into the weeds a little bit and find out really where is that lack of increased production coming from? Is it coming from oil companies, liquid natural gas companies? Is some of it coming from legislative actions? Because I'm not willing to concede that point. That's a great, great perspective. We appreciate the folks. We have the phone lines open. If you have any questions this morning, give us a call at 651-647-2910. That is the call number of the studio. We'll keep the studio lines open uh, throughout the show. 651-647-2910. We also have a text line. You can text your questions at 763-443-5664. Again, the text line is 763-443-5664. I got a great idea for the for the surplus of money they got in Minnesota. <laughs> We're going to do permanent interest rate buy-downs for everyone buying a house over the next however many years. Yes. I don't know what that would look like. Yes. But it's a great idea. For for a few thousand bucks, <clears throat> you can permanently buy an interest rate down and that saves people how many thousands over the term of a loan? Bam. What do you think? Sounds great for the loan officer. (laughs) (laughs) That could be a one-off idea. (laughs) Let's just table that. Maybe we'll visit that down the road a little bit. Obviously, that uh, that doesn't pertain to everyone. So that that's it's just you know being the loan guy. I got to bring something like that up. Scott, what's what do you have coming up in the next couple weeks? How can people get involved? How can they, they connect with you and your team? We've now got a calendar on our website, uh, so if you go to drscottjensen.com slash events, you can see what's coming up. But we've got uh, quite a few fundraising events coming up, and then we're also doing a lot of parades. I know today we're doing a parade in, let's see, we're doing one in Rochester, then we're going down to St. James and doing a parade there. Then on July 4th, I know that we're doing, we're going to be at the um, Hmong Celebration of Independence on July 2nd on that Saturday. I th- we're going to try to get to the Somali uh, celebration later that day. 
And then I think we're down in Albert Lee for a parade on the 3rd of July. And on July 4th, we'll be at Delano, we'll be in Chanhassen, and we'll be in Hastings. So a lot of parades coming up. Uh, we had a big rally at Merrifield uh, with several hundred people showing up last weekend in 95-degree weather on Father's Day. And that was an immense success. The biggest disappointment for me on that one was we had a small pickup football game. And I threw a perfect pass to my receiver, but it bounced off his chest and into uh, Matt Burke's hands. And he ran it into the end zone. And he was less than modest on that one. And I simply stated that I thought it was probably the first time that uh, Matt Burke had ever crossed a goal line with a football in his hand. Uh, So that's become a bit of a point of contention beyond just the biceps and brains issue. Did he do the gritty? Did he do the dance, the, the celebration dance in the end zone? I've seen many people dance, some well and some poorly. <laughs> I could not consider what he did in the end zone a dance. <laughs> we, more, have, uh, we have more, <laughs> more of an involuntary convulsion type of It, it, it did make me want like to that. treat him for a seizure disorder, yeah. <laughs> yes. We, we have Raymond on the phone with a question. Raymond, thanks for calling in. How can we help you? Raymond, let's keep it real short. we got about a minute and a half. Oh, just a quick question. At the beginning of the hour and during the review of some of our funding from the state, uh, Jensen mentioned that K-12 institutions should probably have a little bit of a review due to their effectiveness. He did pay a compliment to our instructors that they're doing a wonderful job and they're entering into the field for the right reasons, but then made a jump to Education Minnesota that they're actually the root cause of maybe part of the problem. And I'm wondering how you can draw those two connections together from the budget funding being reviewed and that the root cause is maybe a purposeful self-funded union that uh, teachers are electing into and is not receiving any federal or uh, state funding? That's a great question. Thank you for asking. Probably the four years in the Senate and watching Ed Minnesota not necessarily participate in innovative uh, brainstorming would be one thing that I would base that on. And the second thing would be I've taken care of teachers for decades, and I ask them frequently, uh, how do you feel about being a part of Ed Minnesota? And it sort of said, and as well, it sort of comes with the job. I'm not crazy about it, but I appreciate the legal coverage if I need it. I appreciate the contract negotiations, and if there's some other small benefits, that's great as well. But they're not crazy about the way Ed Minnesota lobbies, and they wish that the Ed Minnesota would potentially be more devoted to uh, students and teachers. Raymond, appreciate the call in. Folks, to uh, connect with Dr. Scott Jensen, go to his website, drscottjensen.com. Scott, thanks for coming on again this morning. It's great to see you. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I was really glad to hear about Mike eating ice cream sandwiches two at a time. That was really good. (laughs) Have a great weekend, folks. This has been a paid program. The views expressed were not necessarily those of the management or ownership of KSTP AM 1500 ESPN.